Hey there, I'm Inland Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Human Advisor Podcast. This series is brought to you by Altruist, the first ever fully integrated digital brokerage platform for fiduciary financial advisors. No commissions, no fees, and no biases. The way it should be. Check out humanadvisorpodcast.com for new episodes. Now let's get into today's episode. I am Tyrone Ross, host of the Human Advisor Podcast. Before we get started, I need you all to run to YouTube, smash that subscribe button, where you'll be able to see the full-length conversation with myself and Emlyn Miles Mattingly, the CEO and founder of Gen Next Wealth. This podcast, that conversation, is all about humanizing the experience that advisors have in their practice and bringing that to you. When you'll see the conversation that Emlyn and I had, it's really about family. It's really about his clients, and he references his clients all being friends, all being family. That's what this is all about. You'll also see us walking and talking about a special and pivotal moment in my life as well as his, the year 2012. Really pay attention for how that seminal moment in his life impacted his practice. Here are some highlights of that conversation. Enjoy. It was a roller coaster ride in 2012. Sister pastor going through a divorce, then I get a DUI, and then I get into the industry. It was tough, man. It right. was a tough time, but uh, we made it through and learned some life lessons. Prior to all that stuff happening, I was very judgmental of people. Right. It was easy for me to call someone out on something, you know, about what they did wrong. Oh, you did that wrong. Oh, you did that wrong. You did that wrong. After all this stuff happened to me, I had didn't have a good leg to stand on. Right. And it was a really humbling experience. Right. When I first started as a manager in the bank, I started my career, I was staying in that hotel right there. Really? And I stayed in San Francisco for six months while I was doing my training. And here we are, you know, let's say 12 years later, filming this across the street. That's crazy. From where things started. So wow, that's kind of, man. You know, that's powerful. Clearly we are in the social media age branding, right? Oh, you were just talking about King content. Yeah. Um, Mr. Castelli, how do you, you know, you market, leverage your social media? Is it more traditional media? Like how, how do you go about creating a name for Gen X? Mostly social media, primarily showing me, like just right. being- The podcast, just, Yeah, right. the, podcast, the podcast, definitely, definitely the podcast. Uh, but that just started, you know, that's only been two months going. So I know it seems like it's been a long, but it's only yeah. been two months. Wow. Um, so, you know, primarily it's been just telling my story at all, all times on all social medias. I had someone come up to me the other day, uh, a client, and she was like, before she came in, she looked me up on social media. And she said, it was between you and another advisor. And when I looked at your social media, she said, I seen pictures of you. I seen pictures of your family. I could see your business. Wow. She said, before I came in, I felt like I knew you. And so I decided to go with you over him because all he did is talk about money. And I didn't even hear you talk about that. Wow. See, that that's why that, that branding is important. And that and, and it's funny, people pick and choose, you know, the platforms that they use. But and people I was like, oh, well, what about I was like my, my clients follow me on every platform like they, you know, you get clients from Twitter. Yeah. But and then they're on there. So that that's a really that's a really interesting thing. Let me ask you this though: Do you plan to do? You know, the the speaking circuit has become a thing with financial advisors. I, I know. Again, 
I've I've done a lot of it obviously with a with a specialization with crypto. Are you plan to do that more? I would love to. Or do you feel like that takes you away from the practice too much? Not necessarily because um, I think it's a part of the practice, right? If I'm really trying to get out there and talk to minorities, as we get more minority advisors in there and advisors that aren't minorities that are dealing with minorities, I think that I, that's a place where I can talk. One because I am one, and those right, are where right. my clients are at. You know, just talking about personal development, growth, just different things that I think people need to hear. I, I ran about it all the time. How I feel like our business is right for disruption. We are right in the bullseye. It's social media. It's voice. It's blockchain. It's all of these different things. Again, one of the things that are consistent in the, the advisors that are going to be around are the ones who have relationships with their clients, who build that connection. The, I, I also believe those tools are going to allow us to build a bigger connection, right? If we if we leverage if we leverage them properly. So it's good to know that we're forward thinking and again reaching the people that we want to reach and who we speak for. I think it's you know on the second point of that that they do see you in front of a crowd, right? And as I said, it is also important that they see the audience looks like us as well. And that's the one thing that I that it continues to bug me when I look out to these audiences. I'm like, well, I'm up here. They check the box. Yeah. You know, I, we got to start bringing more of us into these rooms when we do get those opportunities. It's crazy because I was, uh, when I go to, we talked about this in the room that day, in the hotel room, but when we go into a place, like, I'll go to the high school. You know, today we're dressed casual and we talked about this. But if I go to the high school, like, I'm wearing a suit. Why? Because I'm probably the only black man that they're going to see in a suit. Yes. So they need to see me yep. like that. And so yep. I think when it comes to the kids or young adults, there was there was someone that told me this back to the to the church thing. I had a, a pastor tell me one time I was up, I was at their church uh, in Sacramento and I went up there and he had me say a few words and he pulled me to the side afterwards and he said, Emlyn, he said, you know what? Do you see the way my young black men look at you? Oh, he said, the way they look at you, they'll never look at me like that. And this is why we need more of you yep. because you can reach them like I can't reach them. They look at me and say, okay, well, this, that, and the other thing. And this is all at the age of, you know, I was like 25, 26. I really didn't understand what he was saying. Yeah. Now I get it. Right. And especially being being a father. Yeah, right? absolutely. That had, like you're looking, you know, you, you're speaking to a generation of youth, right? You want your kids to have those examples. And I look at it all the time. It's like, I ask these, you know, young black boys all the time, like, do you know what I do? Mm -hmm. They have no idea. They yeah. don't know what a financial advisor is. They don't know what any of that is. So it's powerful that we continue to create that imagery and as a black man you are challenged with that like when i go on bloomberg my client's like oh just wear jeans and a t-shirt i'm like i can't do that yeah i don't have that luxury no you know so that's elgin miles right there my grandfather he said uh if you look like someone you act like someone people will treat you like someone 100 so 100 try that All right, welcome back to another edition of the Human Advisor Podcast. I am your host, Tyrone Ross, special guest in the building, Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Brother, how are you? Doing great. Of Gen Next Wealth is here to spend some time with us. We're going to kick it a little bit. I just finished your podcast not too long <laughs> ago, um, so you returned the favor. I appreciate that. I, I mean, so many ways we could take it, you know, from our, from our initial conversation when yeah. we met. Let's just, you know, just start right with it. Tell us a little bit about you, about your practice. Where I, like, the practice started, I have a niche. I work with minority families. Okay. Uh, the way it all started was, it was accident. You know, I didn't pick the niche. The niche chose me. Right, right. So I always I, when say, I, when you find a niche, it becomes a niche. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, so now I'm in my niche. But right. what, what happened was, uh, you know, started in banking, worked as a teller, uh, 
worked there for four years as a teller as I was going to school. And then from being a teller, I got into new accounts and then I eventually became the branch manager. We always had financial advisors in the office and they, you know, showed up late, left early. Not nothing like what I'm doing now, but they showed up late, (laughs) left, you know, left early, drove the nicest car, had a nice suit. I was like, I want that. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what it was, but I just wanted to have a piece of that. Yeah. Uh, And so getting into, you know, first firm that I go off into was uh, Edward Jones. And I worked there for a little while. Uh, And then from Edward Jones, I went to another uh, insurance company and worked there for, you know, between those two places, a, a little over five years. The reason why Gen Next Wealth was came about is because when I was sitting there meeting with clients, we were, you know, in the industry, the only way you make money is to deal with people that have money. Right, right. So I get into the industry so I can help people that look like me and other minorities. And and the only way I could be successful in this company was to not help those people because they Mm. didn't have the money and the assets to to really um, make money for the company. And so what happened from there was I started asking my clients, I started noticing that uh, a lot of clients were coming to me from white advisors. They were leaving their white advisors and coming to to, to invest with me right. or buy insurance for me and doing all these things. And, and I, I didn't really think anything of it mm-hmm. until, you know, I, you know, I, I have you know, over a hundred clients and I'm looking at them and right. <laughs> look at all the clients. I was like, wow, this is a minority book. Like everybody in the book, you know, looks like me or, or my wife. Or, and so I'm like, okay, well maybe I have something here. And right. so then and your wife is my wife's Mexican. Mexican. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so when that all happened, I was like, you know what? I think I can do this better because I was still getting the questions. I'd sell someone an insurance policy, you know, I'd get them some mutual funds and they'd still have questions about their company benefits. They still have questions about how to invest money in their 401k. They still have questions about, you know, what do I do with this trust or having beneficiaries, their children as beneficiaries and just a lot of different financial questions that they weren't being answered Mm -hmm. from the services that I was offering because only way I was being paid was to sell the product. So, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years and I start my own firm and it was largely based on being able to help minority finalists. So let's talk about that. Right. And you talk about starting your own firm. Right. And, and you and starting your own firm as a black man. Yeah. Right. Like what what were some of the challenges there that you faced? So the one of the problems that, you know, issue is. So, okay, so when I'm looking around for someone to look to, to talk to that looks like me in the industry, there's not many of us. So there's not a lot of people that I can go find in the industry that were black that I could ask about how they started their own firm. And so now I find myself out on an island with no one to really kind of give me guidance. Mm -hmm. And so not that and and I don't want people to think like, I'm like, well, you can just ask other advisors just because they're not black. They don't. It's just different. You know what I mean? I really can't. I really can't. You can't. Sometimes you can't put into words how Mm -hmm. different it is, Mm -hmm. but it is different. Like the way that it was like people were like, oh, you're starting your own firm. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, who? you know, what what, what does that mean? (laughs) I got questions like, so I'm going to invest my money with you. You know, I got ten thousand dollars. I'm going to give it to you. Where does the money go? Like they don't even understand that. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be with TD Ameritrade. Oh, okay, TD Ameritrade. So I have to go through this validation yeah, yeah. process, even mm-hmm. though I've been in the financial services industry for 18 years. Right. I still have to go revalidate myself because now I'm no longer supported by this big company name. Right. And that's the same thing that I think other advisors go through. However, when you look out and you see the landscape of other advisors, there's a lot more of them. Mm-hmm. And so now you have this single 
black guy out here starting his own firm without the big company backing. Right. It's like, how does this work? Right. And so trying to explain through that was one of the one of the challenges. However, I was very fortunate because I had the group of clients that looked like me, that trusted me, yeah. that said, you know, okay, wherever you go, we're going. Right. And so yeah. that helped out a lot. So yeah. that was one of the things that was kind of like a like a silver lining in the trans transition. Mm -hmm. Because had I not had those group of people that that actually believed in me, I probably wouldn't have made it, man. Right. Because of your, you know, and one of the things, again, I, I've heard this, I'm sure you've heard it. Mm -hmm. You're serving that demo. It's where mm -hmm. you got to change it up, right? Mm -hmm. You got to, are you forced to make any changes in terms of, again, who you custody with or your business model, right? Mm -hmm. How you actually charge them? Yes. So there's two ways that people work with me. Um, either you're going to have AUM mm -hmm. or three, actually. So you'll have AUM where, mm -hmm. you know, you know how that works. Or we'll have financial planning mm. where we actually put together a plan and they can play that on a subscription. Now, mm -hmm. it's an annual plan charged annually, mm -hmm. billed monthly, billed monthly to make okay. it affordable for okay. people. Um, the other way is to have a combination of both right. where you will have a financial plan. Mm -hmm. You will be charged for your investments. Mm -hmm. And then we do that would be a complete, complete comprehensive plan. Right. So those are the three ways that people work for me, work with me. Yeah. And, and I think that for now that was one of the toughest barriers that i had okay because we're talking to people that don't typically have financial plans or we've been sold a financial plan from someone that's selling us a financial product, product yeah right yeah and yeah. so at the end when i'm talking to people that was pro now that I, now that i'm backing out of it thinking yeah. about not back but looking at what i just said the toughest part is trying to explain to people why they're going to pay me monthly mm -hmm. to put together a plan for them mm -hmm that costs this much and why there's no product at the end of it. Right. Because we have done a horrible job in the financial services industry of selling products mm -hmm. and not giving solutions. So everybody was like, well, you're not, you don't sell life insurance. Mm -hmm. You don't sell annuities. I was like, no, I don't, I don't No, I don't sell that. No. I'm going to make sure that you are on track financially. Well, what does that even mean? Now, now let's back up, right? Let's not take some things for granted yeah. because we do have the privilege of knowing what we know, but mm -hmm. go back to AUM for yeah. a second and just explain that. Yeah. So AUM is going to be assets under management. Um, the best way to explain that to people, especially people that you know may have, may have never worked with a financial advisor, let's just say you were, um, let's say you retired, right? Or you left the job. That, that's more, that's, yeah. that's a little more realistic or sooner. So you, you had a 401k at a job and you've been putting money away and now you, you know, you have a balance, 20,000, $40,000 and you leave mm -hmm. and you're like, what do I do with that balance? Well, someone like myself would charge you a percentage fee on right. the assets that we manage. Typically it's about 1%. And so that 1% fee will come out of the assets that you've transferred over right. to take care of for us. And we will help you with picking the investments. Right. What I was finding is that's a big deal or a, a, a tough spot for people to be in because they don't know what they don't know. Right. Like they're like, I don't know why my account's going up and down. I don't understand this. And so what happens is when you have those assets, whether it's from a retirement plan or it's you know non-qualified, meaning it's not with a retirement plan, you can have someone like myself right. manage those assets and we charge you a percentage fee of the overall assets that we manage. L let me ask you this. What, what do you feel like the industry could do better in terms of helping you, right? And, and and what I mean by that is, again, we can go so many ways what it means to be, you know, a black man in this business. But just in terms of, again, we talk about diversity and inclusion and all of that. But 
you're you're working with a particular group of people. Mm-hmm. We'll get into this as well, where relationship to you is really important. I yes. know there's something to remember when we first met that you said or get to that. But mm-hmm. where do you feel like the industry is lacking in providing you either the resources or the attention that you need in order for you to have a billion dollar RAA like, you know, some of our colleagues may have? I think the industry as a whole has to help educate minorities and it's going to have to come from other minorities. Yes. So we have to have I know we're trying to do diversity. We're trying to do inclusion, but it has to get more than it has to be more than just a a catchphrase or something to say. Thank you. Because it means like it's one thing to say diversity and then I'm not even, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to say what I really want to say yeah. just because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But right. but it, it's it, when we say diversity, it, it's it's become a buzzword and something fun to say. But until we have more Tyrones and more Imlins right. and more, you know, Keishas yeah. and more, you know, Maria's and more other people of color in this industry to take this message back into their own communities. Yep. We can't make a change like yep. we can't because. They're not gonna trust the Todds. Yep. Yep. I just yeah. it's just like if, if he shows up like and, and I and I said that name specifically because one of my close friends is named Todd and and we talked about this before. How can he reach people like, you know, he, he's a white guy. Right. And he says, How can I reach, you know, young black men like you? I said, Todd, you can't. Right. I said, you can come in and talk to us, but until we have more people that look like us in the industry, it's not going to change. One of the things I got a problem with is the conference prices. Let's just talk about it. Like, since you brought it up, let's talk about it. Like you said, like, like we're looking at, we're looking at a conference the other day and like, you know, I I love NAPFA. I love FPA. But when the conference costs $2,500 and I'm just starting my firm, that means I'm not going. Yeah. And that means that some of the messages and some of the things that they have there that I need to hear, I'm not going to be able to hear. In turn, I'm not going to be able to grow my firm. In turn, I'm not going to be able to hire someone that looks like me. In turn, that's going to trickle down. Mm -hmm. So if you have something as small, it may seem something as insignificant as a conference fee, but a conference fee being at 2,500 bucks makes it hard for me to get there. And it makes it harder for me to have someone, like if I do have a staff member, if I got to take them with me, that's five grand Mm -hmm. for me to take them. Yeah. That's not including the hotel. Travel, yeah, yep. So like, those are the kind of things that I think like we don't I don't want them to like think of it like as a welfare or like a handout or anything. But if you right. just lower the price in general, right, it would make it easier for people of color or advisors of color, especially right. new ones starting firms to be able to attend those conferences to get the nuggets that they need, because we still need other advisors that have been seasoned in this to learn from. One hundred percent. But if we can't get. As you, the word you like to use is proximate. If I can't go sit in the audience and listen to them yeah. and maybe be able to shake a hand and get a number and be able to meet with them later. Yeah, no, I, I listen, I, I'm with you on that. And I'll go there on the diversity and inclusion yeah. thing, right? I've I, I've said it on my walk and talks. And mm-hmm. I'm tired of that term because what it started out as mm-hmm. was for us yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. Implitude, imp, implemented in the 80s in companies, right? So people were comfortable working aside, working alongside black and brown folk. Now it's turned into, you know, a one-legged giraffe, mm-hmm. somebody that's under five foot, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and and then it's oh well we hired a woman we're diverse mm-hmm. right away so that has to change and I and I agree with that and and again whether we we, we call it representation and equity mm-hmm. or equality or whatever you want to do but it's definitely become a trope mm-hmm. and it's not it, it doesn't hold any weight anymore because you can just you can just see that so I agree with you and one of the things that I said what I'm going to start doing is yeah I'll speak at your conference. Mm-hmm. But here's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're going to reach out to Emlyn. 
You're going to reach out to DeSanto. You're going to reach out to Samuel. You're going to reach out to all these people. You're going to get them on board. And here's what I also said, right, is why not have a panel of all black male advisors? Have you ever seen one at any conference? No. And then, and then on top of that, I said, you're going to bust boys in, black boys in to hear me speak mm-hmm. or at least attempt it mm-hmm. because everyone else does it, Right. Women are doing it. They, I want a, I want a woman panelist, and you know the the LGBTQ community. Why can't we do it? Because if we're going to have to fight for the changes that we want to see, which leads me again, this is, a, this is a perfect part of this conversation is, again, access, exposure, proximity, all the things that I talk about. Advocacy. Altruist is a, is a company that's looking to disrupt the industry, make it cheaper for advisors to have to run their practice and work with people of all sorts. So d- do you see technology as being a hurdle as well in terms of price or, you know, of being able to serve your clients, because one of the things that I realize is I'm really big on tech, but I always have to humble myself and realize that as that starts to develop, it can get away from the people who really need it. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is making the industry more inclusive, mm-hmm. but their access to it is limited mm-hmm. if the people who are giving them the advice mm-hmm. can't pay for it or don't have yes. those tools. You know yes. what I'm saying? I think in that aspect, because of being, being part of XY Planning Network, mm-hmm. actually is packaged up some of those technologies that I have. Mm-hmm. and made them a lot less expensive. Yeah. So that has helped me out just by having the membership there. Because I was there, I was able to work with someone on my systems. Mm-hmm. So my stuff is completely automated. Right. Like everything is automated. So technology for me has actually been a, a, a really, really great spot for me. Right. And in, in, in being able to reach my clients and make it more accessible for yes. them and make it easier for them. Okay. However, now when I have some people, because everything is scheduling on app, right? Okay. For my appointments. Right. There's no call. What time is this? What time are we going to meet? They do it all on the app. And I've been able to do it very inexpensive. Right. Because of some of the people that I was able to meet to help me do stuff. So, I mean, all in, tech stack, real right. talk. Like, if I give you, like, real talk on my yeah. tech stack, like, I'm paying less than 200 bucks for my tech stack. Wow. Because I have a TAMP right. that helps me with some of the stuff. And then I have my own text that I have, like, my own little tech stuff. that I. So, I've been able to do it on the cheap. Yeah. Now, and, and again, you tend to give and voice your frustrations from where you sit, right? Yeah. So, me playing in the crypto space, yeah. I'm completely aggravated yeah. that that tech is not going going oh, okay, to the people okay, okay. who need it. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, from my perspective, right? And I get that. And that's right. And that, and again, that's why I love, again, this race to zero now in fees. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love the fact that, you know, people can, again, I said our business has changed forever since 2007, mm-hmm. right? Where people could just do everything from their phone. But I think as we get to AI and we get more into mm-hmm. crypto and all these other things, there is a, a, a group there that's, you can see already the chasm is growing mm-hmm. between the accessibility to this technology and the resources that they have to actually get exposed to it. And I'm like, no, no, we got to catch this now, right? They still need exposure to that. I, I think about this, I think about my in-laws. So my uh, my mother-in-law doesn't speak English. My father-in-law, he, he's pretty good. Yeah. And I think about when I think about technology, would I be able to send them the link? Would I be able to, would yeah. they be able to understand? I don't know. Right. You know, there's a, there's, I heard you talk about unbanked and that yeah. really rings a bell with me because well, my wife's a bank manager and I used to be a bank manager. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so there's yeah. a, the group of people that are unbanked mm-hmm. are only going to get further away. Yes. As technology. Yes. So, so I get what you're yeah. saying with that. Yeah. Cause they're not going to, they just don't trust technology. Yep. And then people aren't communicating that like it, it's it's funny to see it because i see like 
and this is just straight from banking. I see my wife's frustration with people that she's like, people still come into the bank and ask for their balance. She's like, we got apps. They got, yeah. they got online. Right. They can access it from the ATM, mm-hmm. but they're not comfortable. With it. And so how do we help those people? And that's a, that's a tough question. Right. And, and, and the thing is, when you say those people, you're talking about my parents, yeah. right? Like I literally had to, I had to open up a TD statement yeah. and walk my parents through it. Like mm-hmm. the debits, the credits, mm-hmm. right? They don't trust, right? Mm-hmm. No apps or anything. Mm-hmm. Like it's all paper. So that part. So I'm always cognizant of that. Right. I, I love technology. I love what it's doing. And listen, we have tremendous privilege. And I know mm-hmm. I don't I don't live a life anywhere near what my parents do. But yeah. I mean, I hate going to the ATM. They doing yeah. any of that. But so, so, yeah, we definitely have to be be aware of that, especially as we're trying to be a voice for the communities that we serve is that they can be left behind. The, the whole cashless thing, right? That's a, that's a whole nother thing, right? There's just people who continue to use, my father loves cash. That's all he's ever known, right? Like if he can't hold it in his hand, it's not real to him. Yep. You know, um, he'll never swipe a card. He'll never do any of that. Like he needs cash in his hand. So it, it, it's really interesting when you really start to get into the weeds of who we serve and why we serve. And like you said, what I love the fact that you mentioned it makes it easier. And also, let me ask you this. Does it make you the 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 cost is great right because it's not it's inexpensive but does it allow you to take on more people right which is it allows me to take on more people and it adds the legitimacy to the business oh i don't have here use this app right oh wow i can just and i ask them when they come in how easy was oh it was easy and it sent me a reminder before so now they're like oh wow he he really has a business right this isn't just emlyn just like i'm 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 not helping emlyn out Right, 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 right. Right. He's helping me. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's that. It's some of the questionnaires that they have after they set up the appointment. It automatically has a pre-meeting questionnaire that it goes to. They're like, oh, wow, I went straight to the question. So they come in and they and they embrace the technology. Now, there's a difference between that person and the person that's not going to know how to use a computer. Yeah. I have people like that, too. Right. But they trust me because they, they, they know me. Yeah. Right. And they yeah. can say, OK, well, at least at least he looks like me or. You know, his wife looks like me, so I can kind of trust him a little yeah. bit. And so I can get past some of that just because they trust me. But if, like, once again, if we don't have more of us, and when I say us, I mean black and brown people in the workspace, the level of trust continues to drop. And so so let's go there for a minute, right? Because mm-hmm. you said, uh, you, you referenced, right? You said they trust me, they trust me. So who is me? And I and again, I, I, I go, always go back to when, you know, we first met, which wasn't too long ago, which yeah. is fascinating about all of this, is that, you know, when we were doing the whole round table with Justin and you know that we recorded you were saying that you know how your clients literally they invite you over and you get invites to stuff or whatever and you could tell you were really big on the relationships Mm -hmm. you have with your clients where does that come from about you and your constitution that makes you up that that's so important to you comes from my grandmother um you know my grandmother uh my grandmother passed away a few years back but my grandmother was big on relationships I knew all of my cousins and everything like that because every weekend we're in the car going to see family hanging out not only family but she had her friends we go to their house and we'd always sit down we talk we break bread and there was like i don't think this is this is that's what we that's what we eat together i don't think you're really friends with someone until you go eat in their house and sit down at their table and eat with them you can't call that a friend unless you don't do that. yeah you gotta break bread And so when I started my firm and even before, the thing that I would say to my clients is, and I I said this, you've heard me say it before, but I I said, if you're going to Thanksgiving dinner and everyone at the table doesn't know who I am, 
then I didn't do a good job. Wow. Because when you're sitting at Thanksgiving dinner, that's when you're talking about, you know, everybody, the families together, everybody's talking about everything. And, right. and so this is where I want to position myself in my client's life as a right. part of their family is something they discuss at the table. Right. And so that's where the, the genesis of that came from. My grandmother, like going around, making sure people, you know, my grandma's taking people food, cooking cakes, yeah. you know, taking pies over here, doing all that stuff. And so it just really was important for me to be able to build those relationships before I can talk to you about your money, before I can talk to you about saving this retirement putting the kids to school i gotta know something about you yeah, yeah. And, and and i think we as an industry have done a good job about getting the numbers right and getting the people wrong oh and so That's if jewelry if if we don't if we don't get the people right the numbers don't matter right and i and i love that too because i'm very big on family too and i was just on my walk and talk last night i was talking about we need to get back to breaking bread that means something and my mother raised us like that. Somebody puts food in your mouth. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to honor that person. Mm -hmm. Just honor them as a person. You don't got to go out of your way, but you always respect the fact that that person did that because they don't have to. And breaking bread is always sacred. I mean, we were raised that you don't throw bread out. You wet it. Mm -hmm. Like that's how sacred it was in our house. You would wet the bread before you you threw it out. And and if my mother was there, she'd probably, oh, my father, he'd make you cut out the cut mold, the mold part like, and you're gonna toast that. And that that's yeah. like, like it, it, it became a place like in my friends that 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 uh that grew up with me, like my house was the place where you like everyone knew when my grandma was cooking. Yep. Like you come over, grandma's yep. cooking, she like, hey, you, they're like Sunday is Sunday. We, you got Sunday dinner. Yeah. It's gonna be like that. And and I think that that's the times when the advisors would come. Remember the insurance man coming to the house, he sit down at the table with us. Yep. Like if we're eating dinner, insurance man come down, sit mm -hmm. at the table and eat with us. Right. It's just, I mean, I think we missed it. So it comes from, you know, comes from your, your your grandmother, and obviously you're very big on family now. Anyone that follows you on social media, you can see like you, 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 the importance of family to you, and a lot of advisors have been doing that. But talk about that, right? You, you know, you you put the shirt on, and what you're saying about about the shirt. But talk a little bit about your family and the role your family plays in how you service your clients, right? And and how you look at again tying all that together. Your grandmother to your personal experiences, to your practice. When it comes to family, like it, it was, it's crazy. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna jump in. Like families, like my grandmother's always been held the family together. Mm -hmm. Like, so I have my, my grandfather, my grandmother, my mom, and, and she held everything together. I remember growing up and, and, and I'm just gonna keep it 100 with yeah. you. Like growing up and going to visit my uncles and my mom, in prison, like with my grandma, that was part of the stops. Right. Like we go over here, eat dinner, do that, do this. Then we go see my mom when she was, you know, when she wasn't doing well, go see my uncle, come back. And it just always, it, it just really kind of made family important. It didn't matter what you did. Yep. yep. <laughs> and it's kind of crazy, right? Like yep. it didn't matter what you did. Like this was family. We got to take care of them. And so now, you know, being married, um, this is my, this, this, this is my second marriage. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. So it's my second marriage and, and being married and, and seeing how my wife is with her family. They're so tight. Mm -hmm. Like they got group texts. They talk all the time. And so having that plus what, what I've had with my, my own grandmother and then trying to like make this family. Like I'm, I'm wearing this shirt today. My uncle bought me this shirt and right. it's the original because my son is the encore. Right. You know, he, he's uh, Emlyn Miles Mattingly the second. And so like just having all of that stuff, like, like my clients call me because I post something on social media about my son. Like they don't even talk busy. Like they didn't ask right, me. Right, right, right. Because the numbers aren't that important. Yep. They call to ask about, hey, how's how's the baby? How's he doing? What's right. going on with him? You know, how's, you know, this and that. And I think that that, 
my uh, my client um, appreciation dinner last year. Yep. Right. So we had the appreciation dinner, and one of my business partners he came in, and he was like, "Man, Emlyn, everybody in this room knows each other." I was like, okay. "Yeah," I said, "Because most of them are related." Yeah. And he was like. He said, you better not ever make anybody mad. I was like, you're damn right. I can't make anybody <laughs> mad because, I, you know, but but that was that's the atmosphere that we have. Like everyone knows each other. When we talk about Gen Next Wealth is Gen Next Wealth is helping minority families build generational wealth. So I need to know mom and dad. I need to know the kids that are my age. Yeah. I need to know the grandkids. The money is all lined up there. I'm not even spending much time talking about the money because I'm talking about, you know, what grandbaby was born and how old, you know, what kid is going to this school and kids are getting ready to go to college and all this stuff that's going on. And, right. and that's what's important. This is what I love about honestly, and, I, and, I, and I'm super biased because this is no doubt the best podcast in the universe. But this is what I love about this podcast is that. Right. You you can see someone's practice. Right. We make it very visual wh who we serve. Right. And, the you know, it's crypto, it's retirement planning, it's whatever. But what I love in, in all of these conversations is if you follow it back. Mm -hmm. Right. Mine. Mine goes back to my parents. Right. You mentioned your grandmother. Right. Mm -hmm. Other folks have mentioned their their father or whatever. Your practice is always uh, a menagerie, so to speak, of the people in your life, right? And you created family out of your your clients because family's big to you, mm -hmm. right? From your personal, you know, your immediate family to your extended family. And I think we bring a lot of that. We bring more to our practice than what we think. Mm -hmm. And that's what, uh, you know, again, I can never mention by name, but my mentor was like, what you're going to realize when you start to become a successful advisor, mm -hmm. and, and I want to stop using the term book, but he was like, your book is going to look a lot like you. Mm -hmm. And he said, and not in the ways that you think, mm -hmm. right? Is that a lot of the things that are important to you will be important to them. A lot of the things that they dislike, you'll dislike, right? It's it'll really start to blend, and it's amazing to see, you know, to 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 see that and how you talk about it. And when you said that again, so many people said so many powerful things in that room. Shout to Courtney as well. Um, but when you said that, I'm like, man, that's so true because I it, it's like that with me too. I feel like my clients, it, it I almost like it's it's nasty to use that word with them. Like we're friends. Like mm -hmm. they they literally call when they see something on social media may not be right. You okay? You good? Is there anything that we can do? Mm -hmm. You know, um, they've been so supportive of this, right? So it's like, you think about how those relationships start and they grow with you, the kids get older, all of that stuff. And then now you're at the point where you're like, man, it's almost like they're family and they know each other, right? Your, your friends become some of their friends, some of your colleagues or whatever. So it's it's amazing how, again, humanizing this business at the end of the day, at the end of the day, like you said, the numbers could be right, that's fantastic, right? But you're just missing the people. Everything is doing this. So that's incredible. And and and, and again, before we get too far away from this, I, I definitely want to stay in this vein because one of the things that is so important when I meet people and talking to them and me being in the transition of my life now where I'm I'm healing, I'm finding a second life. Like I, I it's 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 weird. Like every day for me is kind of an out-of-body experience because I don't I'm not supposed to be here for a lot of reasons. I saw it being differently and again just in in you know a, a moment of weakness you know i almost gave it all up but i definitely want to hit on 2012 right and we had a, a really deep we didn't know each other probably literally five minutes yeah. right and and we were talking about that but just just talk a little bit about how that makes you you right and and what that because i believe adversity reveals yeah so 2012 hell of a year so things happen at the bank i end up leaving from the bank and this is right after, you know, 
get a divorce, leave the job. Don't really know what's going on. My 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 grandfather had passed away a few years before. My uncle had passed away a few years before. And I remember, I think I told you this when we were sitting there. So I remember sitting there on my bed, tears running down my face, not knowing what I was going to do. I just started at one company. I was working at Edward Jones, getting ready to go um, work somewhere else at principal and just in the valley of despair, if you will, just sitting there. And I said, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I remembered it was a Bible verse. I can't remember the exact verse, but I remember it said, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I sat there and I said, literally heard a voice. Everything's going to be all right. And I, and I remember that saying that over and over with everything's going to be all right. Started that principle after that 2013 hit. set the record for having the most applications taken there. So 2012 ended. It was just right. bad. I was like, get this year over with. All right. 2013 came. I started working at principal. I set the record for having the most applications ever taken. I started to build my practice. I hired my first employee that second year when I came in and things just started to, to move forward from there. But there was some some real adversity that I faced in without getting into details. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. there was some adversity that I had in, in 2012 that that uh, that that I felt was like rock bottom. Almost lost my house, um, had the you know, had the the the, the failed marriage career ultimate just I wanted to get into financial planning just not our financial advising just not the way that I was kind of pushed into it right but I really believe everything everything worked out man because because I, I don't think that you can ever experience high highs if you haven't had low lows uh, again it, it it's in uh it's incredible to think right and and you know <laughs> I'm not even going to start on that but so yeah. I, I look back now it's like 2012 was so bad, mm-hmm. which is by far it was a year of my life, but 2007 was awful. Mm-hmm. But it was like 2012 was just so bad. Like it, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was, again, it was a breaking point for me where it's like that moment, as you said, you're sitting there like everything was going to be all right. And it's like this moment, literally, the podcast, you being here, like this was birthed out of what I went through there, like literally at that moment, because all of that was on the way and I kind of got snatched back. For this moment, right? As as and you you know you talk about a Bible Bible verse, right? For such a time as this, right? Is a, is a is a really a really powerful thing, man. But I, I definitely wanted to touch on that. And, and before we go from there, two Bible verses. But let's talk about that, right? That you know, being being a pastor and and yeah, that yeah. that part of I don't know how much of it, how much of that oh, you no, bring no, to your no no I don't know how much of that you bring to your practice. But let's talk about that. Oh, you'd be surprised, man. Yeah. You'd be surprised. So yeah, so uh, back in like two thousand. Uh, I want to say it was 2000. I was working at, so about 2007. Um, I was assistant pastor at a small church in Chachilla, which is a, a city about 15. It's in the county of Madera. Okay. So I was there and uh, yeah, man, I went to Bible college for four years. I mean, I was, you know, live, breathe, eat, sleep, preach every, you know, preach on Sunday, Wednesday, do the new converse class, all that stuff. That, like, I think that your life, not just life in general, like everything that happens prepares you for what's going to happen next. Me being able to have conversations with people at church about their lives, preaching messages, getting sermons, getting all that stuff, prepare me to be able to do public speaking, prepare me to be able to deal with tough family situations when I'm talking to someone in in a position like that, and then being able to give them some guidance. Like I was doing that, but I was like 25 years old. So here I am going to the hospital to go pray for someone, not knowing what's going to happen, but just believing by faith. I remember one time I asked my, my pastor, like he was, uh, the my, my mentor used to tell me, he said, man, he said, you have that barbarian faith. This is what he right, used to right, tell me. Right, he, right. he said, he said, the Bible says that it's going to do it and you just believe it. Right. So one time my pastor was back 
back was hurting. I was like, well, you want me to pray for you? You believe God can heal? And he was like, bro, I'm the pastor. What do you right, right. I was like, I just asked you the question. You believe what the Bible says. So right. I just think that those types of like life experiences, to be able to draw from those and being able to see how I use it now in my practice and dealing with people, I'm not very judgmental. Are you I'm shy with bringing religion into your practice oh, yeah, or mentioning it? Yeah. You're open no, with it? No, okay. No, no, no. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't call it religion. I call it right. relationship, right? Okay. Because I think that it's it's different. Like there's there's certain things that you don't do because of how close your relationship is with your mom or yeah. with your dad. Mm -hmm. And so you liken it to relationship. Religion causes a lot of problems. It does. It so does. I'm very, very cognizant about how I bring it up. And then sometimes people don't even realize I'm using biblical principles when I talk to them. Right. They just don't, you know, they don't yeah. know. They just understand that that this is the principle. So it's it's one of those things that 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 I'm I'm glad that I was able to do that and 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 once again that was my grandmother. Because she would make me go to church, right? Whether I wanted to go or not, so it was, right. it was just. Well, I know what my mother's favorite podcast episode is going to be. Yeah. This one. By the time you work some church into one of them episodes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah man. So uh, here we go. Um, I ask everybody this question, and and again, part of the genesis of the question when you know we were developing the podcast or whatever, it's easy to ask somebody, "What are you grateful for?" Right? Mm -hmm. But as someone who's in the healing process of, of, of getting to the point of, and I've had some incredible answers and I want to be able to answer this question at some point with some confidence and some pride to demonstrate healing to myself. But I, I want to ask you, you know, what, what are you most grateful for that never worked out for you? It, it's going to be interesting because it's one of the things that I always think about, but I am grateful that I never was able to really play college football. And it's, and it's like, I think about that. Like I had an opportunity to try out at, Fres at uh, San Jose State. I played a little bit at uh, a junior college and it seemed like everything was against me to try to play football. Like I love, to this day, I still love football. But I think that had I made it in football, I would not be helping as many people as I'm being able to help now. And I wouldn't be able to, you know, I probably wouldn't have met my wife. I. You know, no telling where all that would have went, but I think that was that was the best thing that ever happened. I love the game, love the sport. You know, hopefully my son wants to play if he wants to, if he does right. play. But but I think that that was probably it. Not being able to play collegiate football. And and again, that that's powerful. We'll, we'll leave it there. But again, as as I as I did say, you know, to Desarte when he answers kind of saying that right with us, us all being athletes and that whole thing is that. I'm not there, right, to be able to say that. And you know a little bit of my story, but I wish at some point, right, for myself, and I pray for myself that I'm just able to be like, man, I'm so glad the Olympics never worked out. Now, again, some of the things that are happening, mm -hmm. realize that there's some there's some things that I'm doing now I would have never done then, but that that's a very powerful answer, man. And thank you for me, and I'm sure thank you from everybody else for your time. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. This is this has been real and, and deep. Appreciate you. See you on the next one. This was another episode of the Human Advisor Podcast. Visit humanadvisorpodcast.com for new episodes, and be sure to check out altruist.com to learn more about the first ever fully integrated digital brokerage platform for fiduciary financial advisors. No commissions no fees and no biases the way it should be check out humanadvisorpodcast.com for new episodes another great showdown but it doesn't have to stop there be sure to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you're listening to on now and give it a good rating would you if you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP. 
to support and to be supported by others just like you. And again, we're super happy to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it cannot be completely your one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But guess what? If you have any questions, or maybe you just like to chat, please reach out to me directly at imlin at minoritymoney.com so that we can get to know each other there. Thanks for being here, and we're signing off.